Like, how could a country this wealthy allow any single person to be homeless on a given night, much less half a million or one or two million through the course of a year? It's uh, it's insane. And, and we, I, I believe that we can do better and I believe we've got to do better. Welcome to Streetside, the Street Medicine Student Coalition podcast. I'm your host, Poyani Bavishi, and today my colleague Stephen Venable and I sat down in an interview with Jeff Olivet for a discussion on the current state of homelessness in the United States. Jeff has previously served as a CEO for C4 Innovations, leading national efforts to disseminate and implement best practices across homelessness and housing programs, healthcare, and behavioral health systems. Additionally, he co-founded Racial Equity Partners, as well as Joe Consulting, to address structural and organizational racism via assessment, training, and coaching efforts. He currently serves as the Executive Director of the U.S. Interagency Council on Homelessness. We hope you enjoy hearing his insight as much as we did. Hello and welcome to Mr. Olivet. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. We are honored to have you. Uh, I just want to say uh, your messaging and uh, the work that you've been doing and your approach to solutions the past few years have really been super inspiring for us to listen to and to learn from. So I'm I'm so honored and thankful that you're here today and, and doing what you're doing. Thank you, Poyani. It's great to be with you all. And I really appreciate all the good work you all are doing in the world. Thanks for having me. Well, so to start, I, I do want to kind of go back over 20 years ago for you now uh, to kind of where it all started. And so you were an outreach worker, as you kind of talked about briefly, and um, that's really where a lot of our listeners are right now. And so I was wondering if maybe you could kind of delve into your experiences a little bit back then and um, tell us a bit about what that was like. I was living in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and had gotten involved in homelessness work and uh, working overnight at a, a drop-in center, kind of a 24-hour drop-in center. And um the healthcare for the homeless project was down the street and they were awesome. They were just so um, out front and out where people were. And um, so I went to work on at the time, a, a children and families outreach team. So we were in mobile um, vans going out to homeless shelters, to motels, uh, to encampments. Um, and we did a lot, not, not just family work, but also with youth. And um, ultimately I did a lot of street outreach with single adults as well. And just being um, kind of out there where people are uh, in under a bridge, in a ditch, in an arroyo, at a shelter, in a, a broken down RV, in a motel room, um, made me see homelessness in a very different light. That there, you know, I think there's a general um, a general public perception sometimes of the homeless as if there's some monolithic homogenous group, and it's just not true. People are really complex and people are really have really varied backgrounds and life experiences. And, and there's no, uh, there's no one stereotype that holds. Uh, and, I, and I think that's maybe the biggest lesson I took from the the years I was involved with street outreach. Yeah. And I love that sentiment because I think we all, you know, arrive to it in different ways when we kind of get involved in the field, but uh, we do all kind of get there eventually. And just knowing that the faces of what we experience are so different, but unite us all too. And so was there a moment that you kind of decided to commit yourself to working on this cause or or something that kind of struck you about it? 
I was involved in a lot of kind of social justice and racial justice work, uh, kind of growing up and, and through college and, um, and graduate school. But I, I was working in East Africa in Nairobi, Kenya, kind of between college and, and, and grad school and working with displaced people, people who had been displaced by the wars and genocide in Central Africa, um, children who were growing up in garbage dumps on their own. Um, and it, you know, the, the folks I was working with and learning from, that was a sort of international crisis, uh, you know, uh, refugee resettlement issue, like all these other things. It wasn't necessarily called homelessness. And when I came back to the States and, you know, homelessness was really uh, exploding on the American landscape through the 80s and early 90s. And it took me a little while to put those two things together, that this is all, it's all the same thing. What we're talking about is the devastation of people living without a stable place to be, without a safe roof over their head, without a door to lock. And for me, I, I wanted and needed to be part of the solutions on that. Uh, you know, we can all find a lot of pathways in our lives. Uh, sometimes those pathways find us and working on homelessness in the U.S. Um, ended up being the, uh, the issue closest to home that I wanted to be part of helping to solve. And then to kind of see those stories abroad and then come back home and look at how it looks a little bit different here must have been the eye-opening and, you know, an important part of your experience. Well, and also just the disconnect between the immense wealth of this country and the immense poverty uh, and, and um, just lack of uh, basic necessities to to live life, to stay healthy, to um, to stay well, to to experience um, a, a reasonable lifespan that's not, you know, cut off by decades because of of your experience on the street. That um, you know that kind of dichotomy in this country is so offensive. Like, how could a country this wealthy allow any single person to be homeless on a given night, much less half a million or one or two million through the course of a year. It's, um, it's insane. And, and we've, I, I believe that we can do better and I believe we've got to do better. Yeah. And then you've had experiences where um, even that has kind of been shaken as well. I know you were part of the Hurricane Katrina relief as well as, you know, living through this pandemic and what does serving look like in those roles for you? The work following post, uh, following Hurricane Katrina was, um, really uh, clarifying for me in a lot of ways. Again, back to what I said earlier about none of the stereotypes holding up. Um, you know, the, there's, a, I think, a lot of times a real judgmentalism about people who are homeless, a lot of stigma around it, and the kind of um, myth or fallacy that people choose to be homeless, that people don't just, they don't work hard enough, or they make bad decisions, or those kinds of things. And um, first of all, a whole lot of people make bad decisions, including folks who are housed, uh, they just have the money to navigate those uh, those situations. But when a storm comes along, when a natural disaster comes along, when war comes along in, in many countries, um, all kinds of people are displaced. And folks who never thought they would be homeless find themselves seeking shelter in a in a Red Cross facility or a church basement or a community center, and they've lost everything. And so that that experience of homelessness as a result of natural disaster, which we're seeing right now in Florida in the, the wake of Hurricane Ian, 
um, is so abrupt and so, uh, uh, you know, kind of profoundly disconnecting someone from job and family and community and, and home, which is just gone now in a lot of cases. Uh, so the work after Hurricane Katrina was really working with the healthcare for the homeless folks, community health centers, law enforcement, education, public health systems, trying to learn what we knew from essentially street medicine. How do you, how do you take care of folks who have lost their home and lost their belongings and lost their medications and lost their prescriptions and their eyeglasses and their, um, their therapist and their psychiatrist and their primary care provider? You know, when somebody has been just sort of disconnected from all of that, which is so often true with folks who are homeless, disaster related or otherwise, how can we take what we learn there around serving people where they are, around taking healthcare and wraparound social services to where people are? And how do we apply that in the context of a natural disaster? Uh, so that was the, the, the post Katrina work. And I, and I think we learned a lot from that. And we, you know, we see even in places like Houston these days where, uh, you know, Houston after Katrina, uh, received 100, 100 or 150,000 new residents who moved there from mostly from Louisiana and uh, and many ended up settling there long term. And that community built a kind of collaborative muscle around supporting those folks that I still see paying dividends here, you know, 17 years later around homelessness. And, and Houston, I think it's no accident, has achieved a, something like a 60 63% reduction in homelessness over the last 10 years. And I think a lot of that came out of how the community mobilized following Hurricane Katrina, Hurricane Rita, which hit Texas at the time. Um, and, and I think some of the, the work that grew out of that period has uh, really borne fruit uh, around homelessness more broadly. I agree. And I, I think you touched on a really important point of the sort of moralization that we have that's associated with homelessness and how that time period really sort of dispelled some of those those thoughts and beliefs. And I know that's something that you hold core to your mission and something else that I think you have done a lot of work on and spoken about is spotlighting this issue of racism and how it interacts with homelessness. And, and I know you and your partner, Mark, kind of launched this national conversation around racism and homelessness now several years ago and, you know, kind of making it your mission to publicize this issue and tackle these hardships that people of color are facing in regards to homelessness. And I was just wondering, has that conversation evolved for you at all in the past few years? And if so, how? Absolutely. It, it has and continues to. Um, structural racism is a root cause of homelessness. There's just no way around it. Uh, homelessness is not a colorblind problem. It is a problem that while it can affect people of all racial and ethnic backgrounds, and it does, the the majority of people experiencing homelessness are people of color and the black community and the native American community are hit particularly hard. And I think that's no accident. If you look at the history of this nation and um, its roots in land theft and genocide on the one hand and chattel slavery on the other, uh, it's no accident that today native people and black people are way more likely than their white peers to become homeless. The question becomes, what are we going to do about it? And I think where the, the national conversation is evolving is in that direction. It's one thing to name the problem. It's one thing to kind of stare at the data and be horrified. It's another to put 
strategies in place that actually move the needle on that racial disparity. And you you uh, gave a shout out to my friend and colleague, Mark Dones, who's now in Seattle, King County, Washington, running the homelessness response there. And so Mark and, and many others around the country are now trying to put in place racially equitable strategies that uh, not only end homelessness for everybody, we want this to be a universal solution, but on the way towards that end of homelessness for everybody, we want to to rapidly reduce the racial disparity that we see. And that's uh, what John Powell would call targeted universalism. Uh, what that might look like in public health is that you uh, you do some kind of geo hotspotting of, of maps and zip codes and start looking at, at health disparities. If you do that around homelessness, if you do that around eviction, if you do that around um, kind of who's most likely to lose their home, to experience homelessness, it a lot of information, intelligence, insight into where we need to put resources in order to turn off the faucet. So you can, you know, you can look at folks who are homelessness or who are homeless now and say, we've got to solve that problem, which is true, but we've also got to go upstream in a real public health primary prevention, um, you know, public health allegory upstream kind of way. You've got to, you got to go uh, figure out where the uh, where the inflow is and stem that at the same time that you're addressing the crisis. Now, I know with street medicine, those of you who are in that world and in that movement are really looking at the life and death crisis of someone who is on the street tonight. And I think that's absolutely critical. I love the work of street medicine for that reason. It is uh, right out there where people are in the in the moment of crisis. We got to keep doing that. But then we've also got to do the housing and supportive services that help people exit homelessness. And we got to go upstream to turn off the faucet. And if we don't do all three of those things, we will have failed. There's no way we can solve this catastrophe unless we're working on all three of those fronts at the same time. Yeah. And I, I love that inclusion of the whole public health perspective. And actually, that's a huge question that we were hoping you could would touch on for us. Um, uh, unfortunately, this past year, we've seen close to 50,000 deaths that are, you know, attributed or kind of comorbid with people that are experiencing homelessness. And so a lot of our listeners are people tackling this from the health perspective or the social work perspective. And I know you're passionate about linking our fields with government efforts and what's happening on the federal level and state and local levels. And so for us, individuals that are just getting started out right now and, and in these kind of separate sectors, I was wondering if you could speak a little bit as to how to bridge our world and, and what advice you would give to us. The way I'd frame this one is um, homelessness is a multi-sector failure. It's a multi-systems failure. If you think, you know, you all are in, in medicine, so you think about the body has multiple systems. And, um, you know, when, when one system isn't working well, maybe you can treat that and medicate it and support people. But when a whole bunch of systems break down, when you've got multi-systems failure in your body, really bad things happen. And the same is true in society. When we've got um, a health system that's not working for everybody, that's achieving um, uh, different outcomes for different racial groups, when you've got a criminal justice system that targets black and brown people, when you've got an education system that is certainly not equal in terms of um, the way it's supporting poor folks and rich folks. We've got a whole bunch of systems that aren't working to serve people. Now, I, people talk about broken systems sometimes, and I, I would argue that those systems are behaving exactly like they were designed to behave, but they're not designed to behave in a just and equitable way. So when you've got this sort of multi-system breakdown, 
our solutions have to be multi-system. They have to be multi-sectoral. What that says to me is that every one of us has a role to play. Whether you're a social worker or a doctor or a nurse or an educator or a business person who's worried about homelessness downtown or a neighbor who doesn't want affordable housing in your backyard um, or a faith community leader or member whose faith, you know, faith community wants to do something about homelessness. Or if you're in government, if you're at the local, state or federal level, we all have a role to play in this. And the problem is so deeply entrenched at this point that it's going to take a long time for us to mobilize all of the support, all of the resources, all of the housing that's needed to, to really end homelessness. I believe we can do that. And I think the, the important thing is to find your own place in that constellation. And if you're, you know, your listeners, if they're, uh, in their medical training now or in residencies or if they're um, physicians or nurse practitioners or outreach workers out there in the world, the, the question is, what is your part? How are you going to shape your career, your work, your your vocation in such a way that you're part of the solution here? I think we all have a lot of choices to make around our our careers and, and where we find ourselves and where we put our energy um, but the question is, you know, what are you, what are you going to do with your time here? What are you going to do with your uh, skills and your talents and your intelligence and your creativity? And how can you put that in the service of helping fix a piece of what's what's been broken here? I absolutely love that multi-systems approach and, and model that you mentioned. And I especially love how through your work, you've integrated potentially seemingly unrelated things such as like, people experiencing refugee crises and then linking that back to homelessness and in using that to inform the new direction. And so with this kind of like, you mentioned each of us finding our constellation in our way. For a lot of students, I think there's that feeling that we're, we're too small to really do anything. And so what advice would you give to, to our viewers and our students as to like a way that, that you would like to see students engage in advocacy and helping on really any level, like what's what's a particular avenue you think would be good for them to go down? Yeah, it's a really good question, Stephen. I think um, everybody's going to find their own path. I, I don't even feel like I've got great advice to give on this one because you you sort of you know you figure out what you can latch onto, you figure out where your passions are. I think for me, early on in my career, it was important that I found really good mentors and. Um, sometimes I sought them out. Sometimes they, uh, you know, took me under their wing. But those mentors were not just um, educators I studied under or bosses that I had in in work. They were also folks who were experiencing homelessness, who taught me more um, about their experience, about the the kind of wisdom and and knowledge and um, intelligence they bring to the table. And and so for me, early on, I got involved in local coalition building that was very much people who are homeless alongside executive directors of organizations, alongside medical providers and politicians, and trying to hold space for all of those perspectives to be heard with a particular emphasis on the lived experience of people who are homeless um, as, as a guide in, in how you do this work. Uh, Brian Stevenson at Equal Justice uh, Initiative talks about be, being proximate to the problem. And I've never experienced homelessness myself. And so for me, the way to get proximate to the problem is to be in conversation with and in solidarity with people who are homeless, who have been homeless, 
Uh, I talked earlier about the healthcare for the homeless movement, um, and, and you all are part of the, the street medicine movement. Um, these are worlds that I think very much value the voice of people who have been closest to the problem. And so when you look at a lot of the boards and networks, uh, they're rich with people who have themselves experienced homelessness, who are now involved in all kinds of advocacy work. Um, so I, the, I guess, Stephen, the, that was the long answer to your question. The, the short answer is do something, get involved, insert yourself, find your path. I think that's great advice, though, because I think sometimes I know, at least for myself, that permission to feel a little lost at the start and find something is great advice. Um, because, yeah, I agree. Like just doing anything is something that's not being done now. Well, and I think the you know, the advice from the the climate change movement of think globally and act locally, which I think Greenpeace has, has popularized for many years. Um, this is a really big problem when we talk about homelessness, and it's a problem that's embedded in a whole bunch of other problems. Uh, as, as I was talking about earlier, it's not kind of a singular thing. And so, you know, it feels overwhelming when you look at the totality of it. But when you look at what you could do, what you could bring to the table, you start thinking about how to act locally, even as you're understanding the, the totality of the problem in its uh, kind of in its global nature. I think that's a really great way to look at it. And and something that I think about a lot and that I ask um, people who come on the podcast to sort of answer for us is, you know, we, we kind of are working in these very large systems and whether you call them broken systems or misdesigned systems, um, you know, I think we all kind of experience maybe barriers along the way that can be quite discouraging at times. And And so I wonder for someone like you that's been in the field for, over 20 years now, do you have moments that are, are discouraging? And, and if so, what kind of carries you through those moments and what helps you to keep moving forward? Uh, of course, there are a ton of discouraging moments. And you hope that in any given day or week or, or month or year, that the hopeful moments outweigh the discouraging moments. But um, I think I find strength in other people involved in this work. Uh, I find inspiration in the success stories that we see one one after another, people uh, who have experienced horrific trauma and horrific, um, the you know, just the dangers of, of life on the streets and in the shelters who are now housed, who are now, you know, really kind of reconnecting in a different way with, with their family and friends and jobs and society and health and wellness. Um, I see the the impact of the work that we're doing. I see that I see it in the people who were homeless yesterday and are housed today, uh, who were unhealthy and now they're healthy, who had um, missing teeth and low self-esteem and now really good oral health has brought them a smile and a degree of confidence and all of that. So these the successes that we see day after day after day with hundreds and hundreds of people exiting homelessness every day, our best estimate is about 2,500 people in the United States exit homelessness every day, something like 900,000 over the course of a year. It's extraordinary. You find hope in that. You find some despair in the fact that 900,000 more have become homeless in the same time. So that's the back to the prevention conversation. But I think we're, um, we're vast enough that we can hold hope and hope and discouragement at the same time. And, then you choose 
Are you going to be overwhelmed? Are you going to be despairing? Or are you going to be, keep believing that what we do matters and what we do could put us on a path to ending the the scourge of homelessness in this country and, and around the world? And um, I choose to I choose hope. If I get to pick between those two things, hope and despair, I'm going to choose hope. I'm glad you do. And you you certainly help inspire the rest of us to, to choose hope every day, too. And that kind of leads me on to a question that I had come up when I was looking at some of your, your statements. And, you know, Dr. Withers often tells us that uh, to do this work, you have to be a little bit crazy or kind of the crazy person in the room. And so I was reading your statement and, you know, you'd kind of laid out a bunch of goals and visions. And, you, and at the end, you'd said, this is an ambitious vision. I believe we can achieve it. And, you know, I think a lot of our followers share that sentiment. And so I was wondering, have you worked in spaces where you're kind of the only believer in the room and, and how do you sort of balance that? Well, I, you try to surround yourself by other believers, right? You have other folks who are committed to the same mission and, and you find strength in one another and, and strength in numbers. So I think I, I do my best not to be, um, the only person in the room championing some of these things. But, but yeah, I think sometimes you have to be a bit of a rock thrower. I think you have to constantly be a, a person who asks the hard questions um, of, you know, why are things this way? How could they be different? Um, and if people think that's crazy, so be it. But let's, you know, let's ask, the, let's ask the hard questions of ourselves and of our elected officials and our political leaders and our, uh, you know, the folks who run big health systems and, um, housing authorities and everything else. So I, I think, you know, finding a way to continue pushing and, and continue challenging the status quo, uh, and, and believing that it doesn't have to be this way. Uh, you've ultimately got to find your own grounding for that. You know, I've talked a couple of times about finding strength in others and I, and I believe that. And at the same time, it's you who keeps waking up every day and making a choice about how you're going to, um, how you're going to use your, your energy, how you're going to use your time. And if you do that well, and if you do it with a lot of integrity and a lot of uh, belief that what you're doing makes a difference, then you go to bed and sleep the sleep of the just and get up tomorrow and do it again. And as long as the issue of homelessness exists, let's keep working on it until it's gone. And then when it's gone, let's go, let's go on to the next thing and work on that too. Um, so I think, you know, you, you keep, finding strength from within and you keep finding strength from others. Yeah. I think that we would all be lost without this sense of community. And so I'm really glad that you sort of touched on that. And so for our last question here, I'm going to be a little mean. I'm going to put you on the spot because I was listening to a talk that you gave in 2012 at the National Zero Mental Health Symposium and Mental Health America Conference. You're going to ask me to remember something from 10 years ago, or you're just going to, you're going to quote it back to me and let me see if I still agree <laughs> I'm with it. I'm going to quote it back. Okay. All right. <laughs> and so what you did is you asked participants to get up and sort of mingle for, for a minute to answer the question, uh, what would it take to end homelessness? You know, so if we were going to end homelessness in the United States, we would need to dot, dot, dot. So so I challenge you to sort of answer this question to the best of your ability. Yeah, that's a really hard question, <laughs> um, and a good and a really good warm up too. You guys should you should try that in your uh, in, in your circles. It gets people thinking in a in a really big long view kind of way. Um, to end homelessness in this country, to end homelessness worldwide, 
we would have to scale what works. And what we know works is housing and supportive services. You have to scale that up to meet the need. That's, that's doable. We can imagine how we would do that. It would cost something, but that's a, it's a budget issue. It's not a, um, a lack of knowledge about what works. We, we've got really good models around housing and services. So you got to scale that up. That's number one. Number two, you've got to address the, the life and death crisis that's right in front of you. Um, it's right in front of all of us. Uh, you talked about the nearly 50,000 people who died last year while experiencing homelessness or as a result of their homelessness. That's probably an undercount in the big scheme of things. But um, this is a life and death crisis. And if we don't address the health and um, housing and shelter and, and support needs of folks who are homeless right now, not only are we not solving homelessness, but we're losing brothers and sisters who are on the street right now. So you've got to scale up the stuff that's working. You've got to address the crisis. And then you got to go upstream and, and turn off the faucet. And th that faucet is probably not one faucet. It's probably a faucet around foster care uh, and, and young people aging out. It's a, a faucet around criminal justice. It's a faucet around eviction. Uh, there's a whole other set of challenges for people who are undocumented and don't have access to uh, public benefits here. There are faucets around people uh, exiting military service only to become homeless on the streets of this country. Um, you've got to look at all of those points of inflow, places of uh, of risk, of high risk for, for homelessness, and figure out very targeted strategies to, to address the prevention side. And you've got to do all of that with an eye towards racial equity, towards moving the needle on the disparity that we see around high rates of homelessness for people of color. If we could put that whole package together at the same time, I think we could end homelessness in this country like that. I do think it's possible. I don't think we've had the political will I don't think we've put the money on the table to to get there, um, but but we know the parts. We know what it would take to do that, and now it's a question of um, scaling all that up and doing it uh, all at the same time, uh, and that's the hard part. Yeah, well, where there's a will, there's a way, right? And and I I I so appreciate everything that you're doing on the national level, and even just in speaking to. Us and our listeners, we can't tell you how inspired we are by your efforts and how ready we are to keep moving forward in this with you. So I, I really appreciate you coming on here today and, and, and chatting with us. It's been great to be with you. And thank you both for everything you do for your leadership and, and to your listeners and, and viewers. Um, keep up the good work and, and stay engaged, uh, stay involved. We need you all in this movement. Thanks so much for listening. You can find more information about Jeff Olivet and the Street Medicine Institute in the show notes below. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals included and are not representative of the opinions of the Street Medicine Institute or the Street Medicine Institute Student Coalition. Do not use this podcast as medical advice and instead see your own provider for medical care. Stay tuned for our episode next week with Dr. Hirsch Munder, the Indian author, researcher, and activist to hear more about how to shape meaningful and transformative policy. We'll see you then. Thank you.